Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. Since it is Halloween, I thought that I'd start off this morning by introducing you to a man by the name of Milan Lukic Valdivia. So Mr. Valdivia, he lives in Peru, and he thinks that the best part of candy is the wrapper it comes in. In fact, in December of 2015, he was recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the largest collection of candy wrappers. He had 5,065 candy wrappers in total. Now, at that time, that meant that he had to have collected at least one wrapper per day for nearly 14 years. So I have to ask, how many kids in here would be disappointed tonight if uh, instead of passing out candy, we just passed out candy wrappers at Trunk or Treat? Would we have? Yeah. yeah, We have some parents that would be disappointed too, right? And and I agree. I, I would... I would be disappointed as well if we passed out only the wrappers because because the best part of the candy is not the wrapper, but what comes inside of the wrapper. So this morning we're going to launch into a new series, a four-part series titled The Full Life. And so this morning and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at four different passages in the book of John. And this is the main takeaway that I want you to grab hold of as we walk through this series. As believers, it's not about what we have on the outside of us that makes our life full. Rather, it's what's found on the inside of us. Let me say that again. As believers, it's not about what we have on the outside of us that makes our life full. Rather, it's what's found on the inside of us. So in John chapter 10, Jesus is contrasting himself with the Pharisees and with the false teachers. And so he calls himself the good shepherd. And in in verse 10 of chapter 10 of the book of John, Jesus says these words, and I like the way the NIV translates it. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, the Greek word that we see here that's translated as full or or abundance in the CSB is the word perisos, right? So it's a mathematical term that generally denotes a surplus. So this idea that we have is that the life that Jesus gives us is a life of surplus, right? Now, as humans, many times we get focused on external things. We get focused on the outside, the wrapper, right? And and so we begin to think of our lives as as full if we have maybe a surplus of money. Or, Or maybe we think of our lives as full if we have a surplus of relationships with other people, or a surplus of things, or or maybe even a surplus of free time. If we have all, the, all of these external things, we think that our life is full. So let me say it again. As believers, it's not about what we have on the outside of us that makes our life full. Rather, it's what's found on 
the inside of us because when we turn to Jesus, when we give our lives over to him, he fills us with a surplus of himself. He is the one that makes our lives full. And if you and I can grasp that, that it's Jesus that is the one that makes our lives full, then we will be able to walk in this full life regardless of what's going on on the outside of us. That means that even if we have very little money, our life can still be full. Even if we have very few relationships, our life can still be full. Even if we don't have as many things as, as others might have, our life can still be full. And even if we don't have as much free time as we might like, our life can still be full because our life is full of the one that matters most. Our life is full of Jesus. And so throughout the course of this series, we're going to be looking at four different words with that suffix full, F-U-L. We're going to look at worshipful, peaceful, joyful, and prayerful. And what we, what we need to understand is that it's not that these things are, are what make our lives full. Rather, I believe that, that, that these are an overflow of the fullness, of the surplus that we have already received in Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 26 today. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now as you're turning there, let me just set this up for you. At this point in the book of John, this is still towards the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And so it, it was just in chapter 2 that we, we see Jesus' first miracle where he turns water into wine at the wedding celebration. And then he, he, he cleanses the temple. He, he chases off those that are using and abusing the temple for their own purposes. And so Jesus is, or, or people are beginning to take note of this, this Jesus fella, right? Now, at the start of chapter 4, we're going to see that, that Jesus' disciples, along with John the Baptist, they are baptizing new followers. And the Pharisees didn't like what was going on in either one of those ministries. And so as, as the Pharisees see that Jesus' disciples are baptizing more new followers than John the Baptist's, they see this as an opportunity to create conflict as an opportunity to create division between these two ministries. But what we're going to see at the start of chapter 4 in verse 1, we're going to see that as Jesus learned that the Pharisees had found out about what was going on in both of these ministries, instead of allowing the opportunity for conflict to arise, instead of the, allowing the enemy to, to create division, Jesus simply left the situation. Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee. Now, this isn't one of our main points today, but I do think it is important to note that, that when we are striving to walk in this full life, as we are striving to walk in obedience to the Lord, the enemy is going to try and stir up conflict. But what great wisdom we have in Jesus' response that instead of allowing the enemy an opportunity for conflict, instead of giving the enemy an, a, a foothold in the situation, Jesus just left. He removed that opportunity for conflict. 
So even before we jump into the text, let me just pause and ask this question. Where in your own life do you need to remove the opportunity for the enemy to create conflict? Where in your own life do you need to remove the opportunity for the enemy to have a foothold? Let's just be honest. We live in a world filled with opportunities for conflict. In person and online, we just live in a world filled with opportunities for conflict. And so let me just encourage you, remove those opportunities for conflict in your life. And instead of allowing the enemy to have a foothold, instead of allowing the enemy to have these opportunities for conflict, instead, give yourself some opportunities for worship. Now, as we look at our passage today, we're going to see Jesus provide just that opportunity. Jesus is going to provide an opportunity for worship. So let's Read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him... And he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So as we look at this passage today, there are three three important truths that I want you to walk away with. First, Jesus invites all to worship. 
Jesus invites all to worship. As we look at this encounter with this woman at the well, understand this is an invitation for this Samaritan woman to know and to worship him as Lord. And so there's a few important things that I want to point out that did not stop Jesus from stopping there to invite this woman to worship him. The first thing that we see that didn't stop Jesus from inviting this woman to worship him was her location. What does verse 4 say again? It says, he had to travel through Samaria. Now, this may only seem like a matter of geography that Jesus had to travel through Samaria, but understand, Jews did not travel through Samaria. In fact, they, they would go around Samaria. They, they had created for themselves a, a route around Samaria. It was a longer route, but they took this longer route simply so they could avoid going through Samaria. So as we're told that that Jesus had to travel through Samaria, this wasn't out of geographical necessity. This was out of divine necessity. Jesus had to travel through Samaria, not because there was no other way to Galilee, but Jesus had to travel through Samaria because Jesus knew that that he was the way and the only way for this woman to truly have salvation. He knew that he was the way and the only way for this woman to have a transformed life. He knew that he was the way and the only way for this woman to receive this full life in him. And so there's a good little nugget of truth here for us. There isn't anywhere that Jesus wouldn't go to reach the lost. There isn't anywhere that Jesus would not go to reach the lost. But now let me ask a little more personal question. Is there anywhere you wouldn't go to reach the lost? Is there anywhere in your own heart of hearts that you would say, God, I'll go anywhere but there. I don't want to go there to reach the lost? Is there anywhere that you wouldn't go to reach the lost? And, and if there is, then, then let me just say, if Jesus is willing to go anywhere to reach the lost, then may it be that our hearts would be the same of, as Jesus to say, yes, Jesus, I will go anywhere. So location didn't stop Jesus from, from stopping there to invite this woman to worship him. The second thing that we see that didn't stop Jesus from stopping to invite this woman to worship him was her race. Now, the reason that Jewish travelers avoided Samaria wasn't because they didn't like the region, but they didn't like the people. The Samaritans, they they interpreted the the law differently. They worshiped on the wrong mountain, which we'll talk about again in a few minutes, but but probably the biggest thing was that they saw, they saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. So we saw in the book of Nehemiah how many times uh, Jewish people would, would turn and they would, they would give their children over to those outside of their faith. And, and so that's what the Samaritans are. The Samaritans are not a pure Jewish race. The Samaritans are made up of people that have married outside of the Jewish race. And so, so the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They didn't see them as worthy. They saw them as this, this half-breed. 
So we live in a world today where it seems that more and more we're being defined by one word, and that word is canceled, right? Now, when I was growing up, it was just TV shows that got canceled, and, and, and I just hoped that it wasn't my favorite TV show that was getting canceled this week, right? But now, in our world today, if you don't agree with me, you're canceled. If, if our beliefs don't line up with each other, you're canceled. And, and maybe even if I just don't like you, you're canceled. The Jews had pretty much canceled the Samaritans, right? They, they didn't go through Samaria. They, they, they didn't interact with the Samaritans at all. They pretty much acted as if the Samaritans didn't exist. They had canceled the Samaritans. And so this, this conversation that Jesus would have had with this woman would have been seen as not something simple, but something extremely controversial, Right? In our world today, if we interact with someone that has been canceled, right, you're likely to get canceled too. It's extremely controversial. Right? And so this would have been seen as an extremely controversial conversation. But, but as Jesus stops to meet with this woman at the well, he makes a clear statement. She wasn't canceled. She was cared for. She wasn't canceled. She was cared for. And she was cared for by the very one that created her. So let me pause and, and ask this. Do you understand that you are cared for this morning? Do you understand that, that regardless of your background, regardless of, of who you are, regardless of where you come from, you are cared for by the very one that created you. How do I know this? Because Jesus Christ came into this world to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. This was a brutal death that he did not deserve. He did not owe. He did not have to do it. And yet he did it willingly because he cared for you and he cared for me. You are cared for so location didn't stop Jesus from stopping to invite this woman to worship him. Race didn't stop Jesus from stopping to invite this woman to worship him. The third thing that we see that didn't stop Jesus from inviting this woman to worship him was her gender. Now, often in biblical times, it, it seems as if women are looked down upon many times. And, and not just in biblical times. We know that in our own country's history, Women many times were looked down upon, belittled. And in the world today, in other countries around the world, we know that, that there are still countries that are still abusive to women, still belittling women, still treating them as less than human, less than important. But as we see Jesus sit down at this well with this woman, as we see Jesus go out of his way to meet with this woman, we are reminded that Jesus doesn't value women any less than men. God values both men and women the same. Listen, Jesus came into this world for both men and women. Jesus died on the cross for both men and women. And so he wasn't just stopping in Samaria to meet with a Samaritan woman. He, he was stopping in Samaria to meet with one of his own creations that he loved and cared for deeply, regardless of gender. See, Christ 
through salvation is the great equalizer. Galatians 3.28 reminds us of this. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And so it didn't matter that, that this was a Samaritan, and it didn't matter that this was a woman. This was one of Jesus' creations. He cared for her. So location didn't stop Jesus from stopping to invite this woman to worship him. Race didn't stop Jesus from inviting this woman to worship him. Gender didn't stop Jesus from inviting this woman to worship him. The final thing that we see that didn't stop Jesus from inviting this woman to worship him was her sin. So not only did Jesus stop to meet with this Samaritan woman, but, but this woman is clearly living in a habitual cycle of sin. She's bouncing from one husband to the next to the point now that she's living with a man outside of marriage. Now, Jesus didn't have to tell her that she was living in a sinful lifestyle. She already knew it. How do we know this? Because in verse 6, we're told that Jesus went and sat down at the well at noon, and it was at this time that this woman was coming to draw water. Now, that may, say, that may sound like just a minor detail, but understand, women in the community would not have been going to the well to draw water in the heat of the day. They would have been going to draw water from that well in the morning time, in the cool of the day. So this, this woman, knowing, knowing that she has sin in her life and, and kind of feeling that, that weight and shame of her sin... She is intentionally going to the well during a time that she knows that nobody else in the community, no other women in the community are going to be going to that well to see her there. She has kind of moved into this mode of avoidance. Have you ever been there? You just kind of, you know that there's something going on in your life, maybe something that doesn't belong, and you just kind of move into this mode of avoidance. Maybe you start avoiding other Christian friends. Maybe you even stop attending church because you don't want people to address your sin. You don't want people to point that out or to point you back to the truth. And so instead of going around people, you just kind of withdraw and move into avoidance. If that's where you find yourself today, then, then let me just say this to you. And I say this with, with great love, right? God wants something better for you than what you're providing for yourself. God wants something better for you than what you're providing for yourself. Not only does he want something better for you, he has something better for you. And let me encourage you, if you find yourself in sin this morning, if you find yourself in, in a cycle of sin this morning, it's time to break that cycle. And the good news is, is that in Jesus there is freedom. Just because you may find yourself in sin today doesn't mean you have to continue in sin any longer. In Christ, there is freedom. But could it be that this woman wasn't simply avoiding those at the well because she didn't want people to point her back to the truth? Could it be that maybe as she was going to the well with, with other women that knew her sin... Maybe they were mistreating her. Maybe they were calling her names. Scripture doesn't really tell us. But let me just say this. For those of us that, that may be in this room right now, that, that maybe you don't find yourself in a place of sin this morning. Let me just say this. If, if someone comes into our midst 
and they are living in sin. If, if someone comes to you or, or if someone is a part of this church family and they find themselves in, in sin, listen, name-calling is never okay. All right. We want to address their sin with both love and grace. Now, we want to address it with truth. We want to point them back to God's word. We are going to stand on God's word, but we want to do it with both love and with grace. But Jesus, she, he, he knew the sin that was in this woman's life, and, and Jesus doesn't call her names, and he doesn't avoid her. Instead, he goes directly to where he knew that she was going to be at the exact time that he knew that she was going to be there so that he could meet with her and so that he could invite her to worship him because he cared for her. Even her sin couldn't stop Jesus from inviting, him, from inviting her to worship him. So let me pause and ask this. What do you think is the one thing in your life that would stop God from loving you today? What, what is that one thing in your life that, that you feel like would be that one thing that would prevent Jesus from meeting with you, that would prevent Jesus from, from inviting you to worship him? And let me suggest that it's in that exact place at this exact moment this morning that Jesus wants to meet you there to invite you to something better, to invite you to worship him. So Jesus invites all to worship. Second, Jesus invites all to worship something better. Let's read verse 10 again. It says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Jesus invites all to worship something better. So Jesus meets this woman at the very well that she had been going to day after day to draw water. Day after day, she was going to this well to quench her thirst. The problem is, is that the, the water in that well would only quench her thirst for a day. She'd have to be back there again the following day. And as he meets her at this well, he offers her something better. He offers her something that will not run dry something that will never lose its taste, something that will quench her thirst for all eternity. He offers her living water. And in doing so, he's offering her himself. You see, he is that something better for her to worship. Listen, Jesus is that something better for you to worship. Jesus is that something better for me to worship. And so let me just pause and ask you this. What are you worshiping today? And let me suggest that whatever you're going to day after day for satisfaction apart from Jesus, you have allowed that to become an object of your worship. Whatever you're going to day after day to find satisfaction apart from Jesus, you have allowed that thing to become an object of your worship. This woman, she was looking for satisfaction, and not only had she been going to this water well, but she was also going to the well of relationships with men, and she had found that well to be a well of endless dissatisfaction. She'd been bouncing from one husband to the next, one relationship to the next, 
And now she's living with a man that she's not even married to. Bottom line, this woman was either worshiping men or worshiping the idea of a relationship with men. But her worship was misplaced. She was worshiping something temporary. But Jesus wanted to invite her to worship something that would last, something that, that would quench her thirst forever. He wanted to invite her to worship something eternal. You see, when we worship temporary things, we will have temporary fulfillment. But when we choose to let the object of our worship be Jesus, the eternal one, we will find that we are eternally fulfilled. Let me say that again. When we worship temporary things, we will have temporary fulfillment. But when we choose to let the object of our worship be Jesus, the eternal one, we will find that we are eternally fulfilled. Jesus invites all to worship, and Jesus invites all to worship something better. Finally, this morning, Jesus invites all to worship unhindered. So you may or may not be familiar with that term, worship wars. That term, worship wars, it, it kind of emerged in the 1990s when more choruses and contemporary songs were being introduced in, into worship services and churches. But, but if you think that it's just the modern-day songs that began to create these worship wars, think again. If you, if you go back and look at some Christian commentaries from the late 1800s, you will see that there was a lot of conflict, a, a lot of discussion and, and, and controversy over some of the new songs that were being introduced at that time. The new modern songs in the late 1800s, songs that many of you probably grew up singing in hymn books. Some of those songs that we still sing today. So worship wars are nothing new. And, and, and the Jews and Samaritans, they had a worship war of their own. Now, their worship war wasn't over style of worship. Their worship war was over place of worship. I said this already, but... But the Jews saw the Samaritans as worshiping on the wrong mountain. So the Samaritans in 400 BC, they, they built a temple for them to worship in on uh, Mount Gerizim. And in 128 BC, the Jews went in and destroyed that temple. And so this just kind of created an even greater divide between the Jews and Samaritans. And so in verse 19, this, this woman, she brings up, the, the divide, she brings up this controversy, this, this worship war. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. And so Jesus acknowledges this dispute, and he says, yes, your fathers worshiped over here, and the Jews worship over here, but understand a, a time is coming when people are going to worship unhindered. They will no longer be hindered by the place of worship because their focus won't be on the place of their worship. Their focus is going to be on the person of their worship. Their focus is going to be on God himself. So let me pause for a moment and simply ask, where is your focus in worship? Where is your focus in worship? And, and let me just graciously suggest that if you are unable to worship because a song choice or a song style doesn't line up with your personal preference, 
let me just graciously suggest that you have allowed for yourself to become the object of your worship. Let me just say, I say that to myself too, right? When we allow for personal preference to interfere with our ability to worship, then we are allowing ourselves to become the object of our worship. But listen, worship is not about you, and worship is not about me. There is only one, and one alone, that is worthy of our worship, and that is God himself. Our worship is for him. And let me just tell you, when you realize that your worship is not for you, when you realize that that worship is for him and him alone, this God that loves us, this God that sent his son into this world to die for us, this God that offers salvation for us, when we realize that our worship is for him, then it will allow us to worship unhindered and we will be able to begin living this worshipful life. Now, Following this encounter with Jesus, we see in verses 39 through 42 that, that the Samaritan woman, she, she begins to go to her friends and, and declare Jesus as the Messiah. She begins to declare Jesus as Lord. And maybe you're here today at, and, and you've heard God's word, and today you are ready to make that same declaration that Jesus is Lord. If that's you today, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so in just a moment, Becky's going to come and lead us in another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe you're here today and you would say that, that that's you. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never allowed Jesus to become the Lord of your life. But today you recognize the sin that's in your life. And you're ready to turn from it. You recognize the wells of temporary satisfaction that are in your life. And you are ready to turn from those wells so that you can turn to Jesus to be eternally satisfied. If that's you, if you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, then, then I would invite you to respond during this song. I'm going to be standing right down front. You can step out of your seat as we sing. Join me down here. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today, you can be eternally satisfied in Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to Christ, but you recognize that there are some wells that you are going to that you need to turn from. Or, or maybe you have allowed yourself to become hindered in your worship by some things, and you just need to confess those things to the Lord. Listen, you can do that right where you're at this morning, but if you need someone to talk with you, if you need someone to pray with you, then I'd be happy to do that. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to Christ, but you've never followed with baptism. We saw John the Baptist baptizing. We saw Jesus baptizing. Listen, this is something that Jesus calls us to do as followers, to make our faith public through baptism. If you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step of baptism, then I would invite you to respond as well. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today, you can make that commitment to be baptized. And maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to Christ and you have been baptized, and you know that God's calling you to make this your church home to join your life with this church body here at First Baptist Stockdale, to join us on mission. 
to join us as we seek revival, to join us as we walk in this full life together. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today, you can become a member here at First Baptist Stockdale. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do this morning, I would just encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's pray together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.